The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hi, this is Sarah Riff, and welcome to Having It All in Other Lies, the podcast where I talk to people I admire about letting go of perfection, embracing the chaos, and redefining what success and happiness look like to them. Because ultimately, the only definition that matters is our own. Today's guest, Deepika Mutiala, is the founder and CEO of Live Tinted and a renowned South Asian American beauty entrepreneur on a mission to champion multicultural beauty through community, conversation, and products. Mutiala aims to dismantle colorism with the collective voices and power of the Live Tinted community. She first rose to the forefront of the beauty industry in 2015 when her YouTube video depicting a beauty hack to cover dark under eye circles using red lipstick went viral, now boasting over 10 million views. Following her rapid rise to fame, Mutiala became a celebrated on-air beauty expert, YouTuber, and most importantly, activist campaigning for minority representation in the beauty industry. It was this commitment to supporting those overlooked that spurred the founding of Live Tinted in January of 2018, emerging first as a digital platform to explore beauty and culture and give voice to those underrepresented in the space. A year later, once Live Tinted's follower base had grown exponentially, they released their first product to answer the community's request for a high-quality solution to address their common skin concerns, namely dark circles, dark spots, and hyperpigmentation. An ode to Mutiala's viral YouTube video, The Hue Stick, an eye, lip, and cheek multi-stick that balances skin tone was born and became an instant bestseller, selling out almost immediately and amassing a 10,000 plus person waitlist at the onset. Mutiala continues to expand Live Tinted's offerings through community-driven product with plans to expand into skincare. And we are so thrilled to talk to her today. I'm so happy to see you. You are looking gorge in your burnt orange, which I know is the signature shade of your brand. How are you doing? Or as I like to say, but how are you really? I am exhausted. I am feeling a little bloated and I am also feeling really grateful. So the emotional roller coaster of entrepreneurship, you feel like 10 things at once and just <laughs> that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. The highs, the lows. Okay. So tell me something fun. What is the last lie that you told? <laughs> I, I told my mother this morning that I was in a meeting and I couldn't talk to her, but I, I just needed a mental break for 15 minutes. So, so it was like a quote unquote meeting. It was a white lie. I feel like white lies are okay for her sanity and mine, but yeah, it was a meeting myself. Yeah. It was a meeting of the minds with yourself. I think that that's so true. It's all about intent, right? Like if you need to preserve yourself and take a moment, then you have to be in a meeting. And today has been, it's just been a crazy day, but all good things. Okay. So what have you had enough of lately? Oh my God. I love these questions. By the way. <laughs> I'm so glad. I just did three interviews today and none of them were anywhere close to these Obviously, questions. Obviously these are just not as good of interviewers as me love this. Okay. <laughs> I love wine. Um, mm. And I never thought I'd say these words, but I'm at a point now where I feel like I've hit a capacity during the, I did not do dry January. I didn't either. I didn't do it. I'm a, a non-conformist. Why do it in January? Yeah. We're not conforming to society. Exactly. It's not like we have alcohol problems. We simply don't want to conform. Absolutely. That's exactly it. But I will say, I think I like, I had a glass last night and I remember I had a sip of it and I was like, I think my body is just saying, and it's probably just saying, let's switch to a martini. But it was very much like, I think I've had enough of red wine for a little bit of a break in my life. Okay. I was going to ask, was it red? Was it white? Red's my go-to. I love a full body. I, Silver Oak is my current favorite. For me, I think it's like as you grow up in life, you adult and you're like, I deserve over a $20 bottle of wine. And then, right. And then I hit a certain level where I was like over a $30 bottle. And then some. I treat myself to the $60 bottles as like a... As a pat on the back. But even your body's like, I don't want this $60 bottle of wine. I've had enough Silver Oak for 2021. For the week. <laughs> for the week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, let's not commit to anything more. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotta mix it up. I honestly feel just physically a little bit drained. And I was telling you before we started the interview that I just went through egg freezing and stuff. And so you're during that, the doctors like have a glass a night. So I've been trying to be good about that night happen. But I just went through a lot with my body, like hormone shots and things like that, that like I'm kind of in a reset phase. Everyone started in January and I'm hoping to kick it off sometime this quarter. Okay. So we all know about all the things that we feel like we have lost during this time and all the concessions that we've made, but what do you feel have been some of the silver linings for you and what have you gained through this experience? For me? Yeah, exactly. There's obviously been really terrible things happening, but on a personal note, I left Los Angeles and moved home to Texas and plot twist. I thought I was moving to Austin. I came home to Houston to do the egg freezing process. And just because I wanted my family to be close by if they could. And I, I really connected with the doctor who lived here. The plan was to move to Austin at the end of this month and sign for like a whatever lease. And I went back to Austin and I went to college in Austin at University of Texas. And I just felt like I came back to Texas for to be with my family and going to Austin didn't feel like, why am I doing this? And I also realized I'm into being in a bigger city. And so I'm actually going to stay in Houston. And I think the silver lining to all of this is I get to be close to my new nephew. I, I would have never been able to see him and spend this much time with him. I would, have, I would have still been living in LA and we would have had an office where everyone was coming in every single day. And now we're working remotely and we've hired senior people in New York City across the country. And, you know, it's opened up the talent pool to a whole other market for a startup. So even though it's also helped me on the professional side, really take a step back on the business, both my company Live Tinted, but also my like personal brand, which to be totally honest, since I've launched my own company, I just don't care about anymore. Like when you have babies, you, you no longer care about yourself. You care about your children. That's I mean, speak I... for yourself, Deepa. <laughs> <laughs> True. You're right. Your kids Freeze are... his eggs once and thinks <laughs> you're going <laughs> to... I'm like, I'm so selfless or something. Yeah. yeah. You're like, I'm very selfless as a mother. <laughs> I was like, call me in five. I have no idea what I'm talking about. You're totally right. I just think that, yes, a live tinted feels like my baby. And, and it's really hard for me to prioritize myself. And what this has given me the time to do is really reevaluate what I'm doing on my personal brand, on my YouTube channel and all that stuff. But also as a company, like, what is it that we really want to stand for? And what are we doing that we don't need to necessarily be doing? And you know, when you're hitting go, you're just going, you don't take the time to really step back and think about that. On the personal side, I've been dating and I never took the time to do that five years of not doing it. And I swore to myself that like, what is the point of all of this if you don't find personal happiness? So that's one good side. And on the professional side, yeah, it's, it's helped me see some clarity in what we should focus on. Would you have moved to Texas? Would you have left Los Angeles if it wasn't for COVID? I wouldn't have left. I would have gone through the hamster wheel of my life and feeling like I had to live there because certain events were happening and I had to keep up with the Joneses and be around certain people. And the lack of FOMO is pretty amazing. It's so interesting because I saw you share that on your channel, obviously. And I've lived in Los Angeles for a long time now. And you moved, you said in 2017 from New York, right? I did, yeah. But what do you think? Because, you know, it's, it's like anything. Sometimes when you're so in it, it's very hard to see beyond it. You're immersed. So how did you feel like as an, I guess, not as a New Yorker, but you obviously you were born in Texas and raised in Texas, right? Yeah, I was. Were you, were you um, like, where's your family based? My family is in Laguna Beach. So all my girlfriends who have family in California and in Los Angeles or greater Los Angeles area, you know, all of them it's home. Like they love it. Right. And I I think that is the biggest difference between coming to LA for like your dreams and your, you know, your eyes are big and you have these stars in your eyes and things like that versus having your family be even when the same state, like I have friends who are in San Diego or in Sacramento and they're like, yeah, I live in LA and I love it. And I go home every once in a while. And you know what I mean? So I think for me, when I left Texas to go to New York city, it was like, I was going to be the Indian Carrie Bradshaw frolic the West village and live this just dream life. And I truly feel like I did that. Like my dream of dreams was to host the Met Gala red carpet for like the today show. And I did it. And after I did it, I felt this like weird sadness in me that made no sense because I had just like achieved a dream. So why was I so sad? 
there's this old story I remember of like something happening to my mom and it was early days when she was married to my dad. And she said she had always dreamed about having this particular like convertible car. Uh And one day he brought it home and she was like, no, 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 I want you to return it. And he was like, why? And she's like, cause I wanted to dream about it. I didn't want to have it. I don't even know why this is coming to me. Cause at the time I was always like, that was a really stupid move. Like drive the convertible. Cause I think that there's sometimes something that happens with us, like with a sense of value of what we deserve and what we don't. But when you achieve a dream, it's interesting to acknowledge that you felt like a bit of sadness. I wonder if it was because it didn't feel the way that you hoped it would feel or because now you needed a new dream. What's the next thing? And I, 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 it's so interesting you say that I've been going to lots of therapy and I think a part of what I'm really trying to work on is enjoying the journey instead of this like arbitrary end goal that we're all trying to reach. It's like, what is the end goal anyways? I was a 16 year old girl who dreamt of creating a beauty brand that made it a more inclusive beauty industry and seeing people like myself more represented and I'm doing it. So why am I so focused on the next sales goal and the next metric and growing it to this size and hitting this retailer, fundraising this amount of money? Part of it is I'm an ambitious person. And so I like, I have dreams and aspirations. And I think the bigger I grow this company, the bigger my purpose behind the company is amplified. And so I think that's a real part of it. The other part of it is that I think social media, the world has just really messed with all of our heads to think that our lives are just not enough. And that's just not the case. Like, and I recently feel like I've been more reflective on this idea of like, what am I chasing? What is it that I'm looking for getting? Because like you said, cool, that McAll thing happened. So I was like, that's, that's literally when I decided to move to LA. I was crying that night and I, I came home for a month, spent some time with my family. And I was like, I'm burnt out. I need a fresh start. And I couldn't imagine starting my company living in New York. I needed new energy, new vibes, space, the sun. I needed all that. And so I moved to Los Angeles and don't get me wrong. I love it. I I could see myself ending up there. I just knew that I needed a reset. And every single time I come home to my family, I get that reset. So I'm really grateful. Like you said, the silver lining of this all is I got to come home and, and maybe not spend every night of my life going to a dinner where how many of those people are my actual friends? Right. Well, that's what you were talking about, you know, when you shared the video about why you were leaving LA. What I thought was interesting and I appreciated you sharing was also that you felt lonely. And it's an interesting thing being in a city where you're surrounded by people. And this is the same, you know, obviously for New York or for a lot of the places that you've lived. But just the acknowledgement of like, well, if I did leave here, how many people that are integral to my actual soul and authentic self would actually miss me. And, you know, it sounds like you're obviously having the pull of your family, but I'm reading this book right now, which I think is called your one wild and precious life. And it was talking about the phenomenon of loneliness and loneliness in the age of social media, where we're all more connected than ever, but also super disconnected. And that in the eighties, they had said 20% of people would report being lonely. And now 60% of people who all feel like they want a break from people and need time alone also feel this sense of loneliness. And I think it's such an interesting phenomenon, especially for you, as you share building your own personal brand and the need to constantly create content and create info that's digestible to other people. And yet it is making you feel more and more disconnected from yourself. It's like a crazy 2020 phenomenon. And also as the rise of all these personalities where you're opening up your life and you're sharing your life. But then at the same time, like you said, it's making you feel so much more disengaged from your actual life and purpose. You know, you said, now that I have my own brand, I actually don't care about my own brand. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, you said it like that. I think it's because it's a, it's very exhausting being on 24-7 as a human being. But the thing is, I can do both. But at the same time, I can't. Tell me to run a company, be behind the scenes. I will look like shit and I'll be running it like, you know, you know what I mean? Or let me exert my energy, be in front of the camera doing this stuff all day. And, you know, I've changed my feeling that I had to look perfectly put together for this stuff because that's not who I really am and, and all those things. But the energy that goes into being a personality on air person and then somebody who's running a company who I told, I told my team this in a very vulnerable moment that like, somebody said like, you, you have this desire to be liked. And I was like, 
well, yeah, I, I had a career around it the last three years where I was literally incentivized to be liked, like literally physically, there's a like number. And yeah. yes, yes, I am trained to be liked. And the problem is that as a CEO, you don't necessarily need to be liked, but you need to be respected. And I think those two are at conflict with each other. One of them requires respect and the other one requires external validation and, and likability. And so when you're trying to pull your brain in two different ways, and sometimes you have to make a business decision that may not have you be liked, it's hard to do it and, and execute it in the right way because I'm so scared that like, oh my God, am I going to hurt someone's feelings? And what is that going to mean to the trickle effect of the business? It's something I'm like actively working on and I don't know if there's a solution. And I think there's a reason why all these celebrities who come out with brands are not running the business. They're the face. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. Listen, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for that. (laughs) But also, yeah, I think that that's so interesting. And I'm sure you are not alone in that. You cannot function as all of the things authentically. And like you said, that is a very interesting conundrum of trying to wear all the hats simultaneously. All right. Well, I mean, I think that we're already doing, but let's talk about the concept of having it all. Is that something that you buy into at all? And if so, what would that look like to you? I think that when it's all said and done, you can have it all. I don't think you can have it all at the same time. I think there's stages and moments in life where you can have certain things in in greater amounts and then other times have it less. I'm a perfect example of that. I hadn't gone on a date in five years. Since 25, I got out of like an emotionally abusive relationship around like 26. And we were very toxic and back and forth for years. You know, one of those things, but a new human never came into my life. I didn't even go on dates and then told myself when I woke up in 2020, for some reason, you know, we hit a certain sales goal for Live Tinted. The team was at a certain place. And I was like, this is not worth it unless I find personal happiness. And so then I told myself I was going to focus on my personal life. And then this shitty thing, like a pandemic happened and it made it kind of impossible to go on dates. But I still, by moving home, spending time with my family and focusing on my personal life in its own way. Right. And so to be honest, who knows? Everyone's journey is different. I have zero regrets about the fact that like my personal life was very much on stand, uh, like behind the scenes for building this company, because I know that there was no distractions for me. There was complete focus. And I was able to connect with people at a deeper level because I had no other distractions in my life. Not saying that's the only way to build a company, obviously, but I think now more than ever, things on the professional side just feel less like a huge like bag of you know weights or on your shoulders and things like that because I kind of let it go a little bit more because I now realize that I'm happier creating work-life balance and shutting off my computer at a certain time. I'm I'm happier and I've been able to date and like now I have a personal life and I feel healthier and things like that. Like I said, it's still a journey, but I made quarterly goals for myself. By this month, I was going to freeze my eggs. We're going to fundraise. I'm going to hire a president. Q2, I'm going to move into my new place, really get it furnished. And so it's interesting because I used to only have professional goals and now I equally weigh in my personal goals. So do I think you can have it all? I do think you can have it all. I think our definition of having it all needs to be shifted and not seen as this glorified thing that you see online, but really each person needs to sit down with themselves and look inside themselves and think about what is having it all for you. Not what it's like to show the world is you're having it all. Like, what is it that at the end of the day, when you're, you know, with sitting by a fireplace and you're like 80 years old and what is going to make you feel like you did something with your life that made you feel like you have it all. And I'm trying now at 30, I'm 31. I'm not like, some wise, whatever I'm, I'm learning as I go, but I'm trying to just appreciate more of my day to day. The fact that I'm sitting here doing an interview with you. I just did an interview talking about my egg freezing journey with Vogue India. It's like, these are things that I could have only dreamt of as a kid. So instead of just like trying to create this definition of having it all that I think used to mean money, fame, cars, clothes. I, that's like a lyric from a rap song for sure. Money, fame, cars, clothes. <laughs> uh, Drake, successful. There you go. Yeah, that's that definition of success has just changed. Like, I really want to create a stamp in the world that outlives me. And a lot of that has nothing to do with all of those things we just named. It's about who you are as a person. And it's tough because every day you're also running a business. And so there's certain things you have to do. Right. Well, so one thing that you've been really transparent about that I like and I feel like is so honest is the notion of figuring it out as you go. Right. So 
as a CEO or a brand founder. That's not necessarily something that you have the experience in. No. And so as far as the idea of designing a life that fits you, I wonder, did you ever have a model for what you wanted it to look like? Because obviously you were working in the space, in the beauty space as an influencer before starting your brand. And that's a huge jump. I assume you didn't go to business school. Well, so yeah, the the difference with me is that like, since I was 16, I, you know, a lot of people even at 30 are still figuring out what it is they want to do. I knew at 16 that I wanted to start my own beauty brand. Um, And I had, there was no model of how to do this because there was no other South Asian person who had done it before that I could look up to and say they'd done it. Mm -hmm. So when I went to college, I was a business major and my first internship was at L'Oreal, but I had to get that for myself. There was no contacts that I had. I did a case competition in college that I won for my school and for winning for my school. It gave me an internship. That was my first into New York City. That wasn't a class that got it for me. It wasn't an interview. It was something I had to do fully in my free time to get my foot in the door from Texas to New York City. And I won. And, and that was like step one. I got it here. But then after that internship, they didn't give me the full-time offer. So that felt like I was going backwards. So then I took a job at Birchbox in New York City, which was a startup company. And then I felt like I was back up here again. The founders went to Harvard Business School. So I was like, they'll write me a recommendation letter. I'll go to Harvard Business School. And then I'll start my own beauty brand with all the connections I make there. I had all these like plans, right? And then while I worked at Birchbox, my video went viral and it created a whole other path as an influencer. So for me, the dream was always to start my own brand and be a founder, but it was never to be an influencer because that also wasn't a thing in any capacity. It was kind of like a diversion in this like path that I had that I think is beautiful and, and, and my own unique path that I think is awesome. But you're right. I have no clue what I'm doing. No, and I'm not saying that in, in any way other than to applaud you for being honest about that. Number one, because I think a lot of people don't take certain risks because they fear that they don't have the experience or the know-how or, you know, the background. And also because I think that the more people that I've worked with across the gamut of businesses, most people are figuring out a lot as they go. Certainly there are some people who are more seasoned in one thing or another, but there's nothing that takes precedent for experience. And that's the stuff, like you said, also starting a brand like Live Tinted, this was in a space where you are really seeking to, to serve under represented women, you know? And so this is entirely a jump and you're building something that's never been done before. But when you said, I never wanted to be a beauty influencer, that wasn't a thing. Was that not in the ether at that point? Or you just mean that was not something that had entered your mind? It was very new. This was 2015. Like Michelle Fawn was the thing, but there was no South Asian woman doing it. So again, it felt impossible. Like we're supposed to go be doctors. And if I was going to be in the beauty industry, I had to be a CEO. So for me to be like the face of any beauty brand campaign was like, who do I think I am? I'm a size six. I'm I'm on the darker end of what the South Asian community considers to be beautiful, which is fair skin tones. And so I just, it didn't feel like it was in the realm of possibilities. And then when I did the Today Show for the first time, they asked me to be a regular. I was like, oh my God, I could be like the Indian Hoda and like, you know, do what she gets. <laughs> I love it. it's the Indian Carrie Bradshaw's Indian Hoda. <laughs> <laughs> because you have to figure out your own version of it because there was no Indian girl, period. This, right. was, this was before Priyanka Chopra. This was just me looking at a space where Aaliyah and like, I think the Kardashians at this point, I obviously were a thing, but Kim and I are completely different skin tones. And like, you know what I mean? So it's like, you try to figure out like where you fit in, but if you don't see it, how can you see it? Right. You can't be what you can't see. Exactly. Okay. So, you know, talk about that video. You said you made a video that went viral and this is where you basically used red lipstick to cover up dark under eye circles, right? Right. Who even told you that? Like I see those color correcting kits, you know, anytime I go to the drugstore and I am so intimidated. I would never, I don't even understand it. I don't understand how there's like, there's a green, there's a purple, there's an orange. I've never known what they were for. So a makeup artist was using an actual color corrector on me under my eyes. It's like a product made as an artistry product. Her name is Reba Cruz, but she was using an actual color corrector from me from a brand called Mud, I believe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But my point is that like, I was so confused because I didn't see what she was pulling out. I just saw her putting the red on me. And I was like, what are you doing using red lipstick under my eyes? And 
she was like, oh, it's, it's called a color corrector. It's like meant to cancel out certain colors, blues and greens under your eyes. So then when you actually put on the foundation, your dark circles won't pop through. And I was like, well, what's the difference between this and a red lipstick? And she said a lot of things, like all the technical things of what's the difference. But what I heard was nothing. Yeah, I love that. You're like, she gave me all the differences and I heard nothing. I'm a girl from Texas. I'm not a makeup artist who is all about simplifying her beauty routine for the everyday person. And so I shared this tip because I didn't even know where to buy a mud product or a, a color corrector. But I had this like MAC lipstick that like every girl owned. And it was like, just use it and share the tip. And I, I think this was like early days of beauty hacks. Like and you just upload this to YouTube. At what point are you like, I have 10 million views? When the Today Show called me to come on to do this segment on air was when I realized that I really had an opportunity to turn this like what felt like 15 minutes of fame into my dream career. And that's what I did. I quit my job and I did the segment on air. They asked me to come on and be a regular. And I really realized that I had an opportunity to make it so South Asian women were finally seen in a space that I had never seen myself reflected in before. And that was really powerful for me. And that was where I truly saw my like purpose. That's what I I really felt like, you know, waking up every day and taking OOTDs and taking selfies for somebody who envisioned being a businesswoman was really numbing and hard for me to stay self-motivated and recognize that I was doing something for a greater purpose. But the amount of messages I would get from women who not just South Asian women, but women of color who would say like, seeing you go for your journey inspired me like to not go down the traditional career path of being a doctor or a lawyer and go for my dreams. And it's like, wow, just me living my life is doing that for people like that needs to continue on and and be something that I do through my company. So when I started Live Tinted, it was important for me to start it as a community platform and have it not just be about me. I can use my platform as much as I can to grow it. But it was really important for me that like we were a home for as many diverse spaces who I felt like the beauty industry wasn't giving a shot, especially when we launched, right? Like a lot is changing now. Thank God people are getting on board. But when we launched, like these faces were faces that you never saw reflected in the beauty industry. And we would profile them and post them and create this like database of just beautiful faces, diverse faces on the internet. And it was awesome. And it was also so fulfilling for me. And so now that we're a beauty brand and have actual physical products, To me, keeping that same momentum and and sentiment of diversity through every layer of the business is is so important to me. And being truly inclusive, by the way, like I want you to also come to Live Tinted and be able to see something that you want to support this movement. You want to stand for supporting all different types of women to thrive in their lives. And, you know, I say I get messages from a lot of South Asian and Black and Latina women, which I do. and, And it's awesome. It's also really cool to have like a white girl message me and say, you know what? What you've made me realize is like, there are so many hurdles that women of color have to get started that I don't have that like you that that much more inspired me to go make it happen and help other women along the way. And it's things like that, that just make you realize, man, like you can make an impact so much greater. Like for me, my brand is not about being a South Asian brand, but it is a brand that I think finally for the first time that I've ever seen includes us as a part of the narrative, along with a much greater community of people. Like, I don't want to be the brand that's just like in a corner of a store. Um, Unfortunately, that's just how it is for minority-owned businesses, right? And it's slowly changing. But I went on a whole soapbox. But sorry, my point of this was to say that like, we have like a purpose. And you even having me on your show as a guest is like, you recognizing this purpose. And I think we all have to do that to change the narrative. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, that's got to be so motivating for you when you go through those hurdles is also just getting the messages from other women and being reminded of how impactful your journey is for them and going after their dreams. And so it has to give you that extra fuel. But I think we can all agree that women are under a tremendous amount of pressure to look a certain way and to behave a certain way. And I think it must be an interesting place for you as a brand founder fighting for more visibility for those underrepresented in the beauty space. Do you feel that even more intensely? Because it's like you said, we're highlighting women who look all sorts of different ways. But I feel like there's been a title shift in the last few years where that's so much more at the forefront of what is being marketed by a lot of the major brands. But I know, like you're saying, when you started kind of like little engine that could, you're pushing up against a very defined sense of what is and what isn't beautiful, right? Yes, I felt a great responsibility. I still feel a huge responsibility to shift that narrative and and set a hopeful precedence to 
hopefully serve at lead by example to change the entire narrative of what, what brands should be at baseline. I won't be satisfied until every brand is just thinking inclusivity is just normal and a part of their DNA and, and what they stand for. And I think by leading by example, hopefully you're recognizing a lot of brands, whether it's performative or not, is really not my concern and really what I focus on at all at this stage, because it's going to go through a period of people potentially being performative. And, and listen, I assume positive intent on people. And at the end of the day, it's still gr- serving the greater good of the next generation of young people, boys and girls, whatever they want to identify as to be able to grow in a world where they see themselves reflected. And that is so important. And I know that because of literally my own personal experience of dyeing my hair blonde, getting blue contacts and trying to fit into what I saw around me. So what is this in high school? Mm -hmm. Sugarland, Texas. (laughs) Oh my God. And so, and how long did you wear that? Started in middle school. I got the contacts. I went from green to blue, hazel. And then, but you know, they were also trendy at the time. So a, a part of it was an identity thing. A part of it was a mm-hmm. fashion thing. And But the blonde hair, yeah, like all of that, avoiding the sun. I literally, you know, I would go with my girlfriends to go tanning and they would be obviously actively looking for the sun and I would hide under an umbrella. And I remember one time I was embarrassed that I was doing that. So I tanned with all of them and then came home and my mom started crying her eyes out because she was so embarrassed at how dark I got and, and mortified, to be honest. And that is something that I've had open conversations with her about and we've discussed. There was a bleach cream on her dresser that's called Fair and Lovely that I think a lot of people of color know about that it's like really fucked up. Like you're really fucked up. Was that a lot of the messaging for you as a girl growing up? Were you told by your mom to avoid the sun, to make sure that you were trying to stay as fair as possible? And why was that? Because there's a higher value on the more fair your skin is? Yeah, it actually, it's very deep rooted. It goes not just back to colorism, but casteism and, and taking mm-hmm. it back to like way back in the day, the higher castes were fair skin tones. And it all right. goes back to a Eurocentric mindset of the way the world worked. And so it's very deep rooted that still is bleeding into the world today. And I think that's why this is such a heavy, important topic to people. And sometimes you need to take something as playful as the beauty industry to take light on something that's much more heavy, like colorism, where in the, which is the notion that fairer skin tone is considered more beautiful, even within the same ethnic group. So not even just like, you know, the racism is more the discrimination across different ethnic groups, but this is like within the South Asian community, within the Black community, within the Latina community, Latinx community, there is discrimination of people who are deeper skin tone than lighter skin tone. And I felt that. And by the way, there's people much deeper skin tone than me that you don't even see in the media because like, what? Like, that's just not a thing. And that's the things we're trying to change as a brand. And it's deep rooted because you're seen as a lower class. Yeah. Well, also because, you know, we're talking about that also, you know, just sort of mainstream beauty, right? In terms of making sure that everybody is represented. But for you on a personal level, within your culture and within your family and the way that obviously we are informed of who we are and how we see ourselves often start so early and, and how our parents talk to us and how they talk to themselves. Were your parents born in the States? Nope. And so that, no. they didn't, they didn't know, you know, and I've had many conversations with my therapist and also my parents and I'm in the process of writing a book. And so I'm really like diving into like the narrative of that little girl that dyed her hair blonde and got blue contacts. And it's just making me like really realize, wow, like, and this is with everyone, your parents are are such a transformative part of your life. But yeah, I think that's why. For good or for bad. For good or for bad. Yeah, it's yeah. real. And that is a matter of fact thing. And I think I always said she didn't know better. She didn't, you know, you always excuse it. But right. I think having these combos with my mom has really brought me the closure to know that she now gets that it's not okay. And it took sitting down with her and having that convo to make her really recognize that. And they're really heavy convos to be had, you know? And so, because that's what they're trained in India growing up, fair is beautiful. This product, by the way, this bleach cream is called Fair and Lovely. Not dark and lovely. Not dark and lovely. And so anyways, I think like there's, there's such a deep rooted part to all of this, but I think the good news is there's so much progress happening. Yeah. And it makes the work that you're doing even that much more personal and important too, because it's not only are you doing that for society, but also for yourself and, and just coming to terms with your own sense of beauty and recognizing your own self-value and also not to hide your culture in any way. It's the thing I'm most proud of, but I hid the most as a kid. Like I was embarrassed of my mom, her Indian accent and all these things. And now it's like, 
by the way, she's the only thing people care about on my social media, (laughs) which is progress. Right. And it's like, it's super exciting. And yeah, there's a real shift happening and it's awesome to be a part of it. But that's also the assimilation, I think, of all kids. That's something that I hope changes as my kids get older is really feeling comfortable in your own uniqueness. And I think as kids, everybody just sort of wants to be like everyone else. You don't gravitate to any of those things that make you different that as adults, you really realize are kind of your super strengths. It takes confidence to get that. And that just comes through time. But anything we can do to help that younger generation realize it sooner, like we should. And and they have a lot more access to media and content and things like that to be able to, to hopefully, you know, there's so much bad with social media, but there's also so much good. Like they have access to this content and, and seeing the diversity of the world to be able to change that narrative versus like us as a kid, we saw one thing and it, it was like on E! News and that was like, period. Right, right. Um, It's exciting. So it's not just the ethos of your brand that's so incredible, but also the product itself is doing amazing. And you guys just won the Allure best multi-use product of the year, right? With the Hue stick. So this is the one that had like a crazy waiting list. And is this a derivative or, you know, like something in line with what you were using for under your eyes? Yeah. So that's the coolest part is like, so three years ago, this video goes viral. Then I start my own brand and it's like, what should the first product be? And of course, my natural instinct is let's go back to the color corrector. But I wasn't sure that three years later that the market hadn't course corrected itself and created a solution. But so we just straight up asked the Lipton community, what was their number one beauty concern? And they said dark circles. And that just to me was like between the two kind of focus groups I had of this video with 10 million views and now this community of thousands of people telling me that that was their number one concern. It only made sense to create a solution. But like you said, color correcting is really intimidating. So what could we create that was innovative and simplified something that felt so scary in such an artistry product? And that was the Hue Stick, which is a multi-stick that you could use as a beautiful eye, cheek, and lip color that Mm -hmm. also doubles as a color corrector for light, medium, and dark skin tones. Okay, just selfishly, could I color correct melasma? Yes, you can. And we have Perk, which is, so we have a, we launched with three colors. It's Perk, Rise, and Origin. The Perk color, which when when I went on Good Morning America in last March, it's completely sold out because I was able to reach a whole, because obviously my main demographic is women of color, right? So then I went on Good Morning America and all these other women that we never tapped into were like, oh my gosh, I have melasma. I have dark circles. They're like, you don't own dark circles, honey. So yeah, no, and and that's what's so great about this, right? It really is something that's across the spectrum. And Mm -hmm. so I think using perk is a great way before you put on your foundation to lightly put it on there. And what it actually allows you to do is use less foundation, not more, if you start to use it the right way. And the best part to me also is that in addition to that, use it every day as a lip color, as a cheek color, as an eye color. So it's is it also like, is it a red? Is it a green? What's what's perk? No, so the, the one you would get is perk. It's the pink color. We need, we'll send it to you, but it's like the perk is the pink one. And then that would work for the lightest skin tones. And then the orange is for medium. And then the red, which is what I use, which is for the deepest level of discoloration. But all three of them would be a gorgeous multi-stick eye, cheek and lip color on you. This is amazing. Okay. So we talked about it a little bit earlier, but it's one thing, obviously to dream up at 16, that you're going to have a brand. It's quite another thing to be at the helm and dealing with the day in and day out. What parts of it have you found that you like more than others? And what have been bigger challenges for you? People management isn't my thing. I'm really good at the ideas and, and being like, we need to do this. Let's do this. And thinking big and marketing and all of that stuff. I, I realized that It is so important to me that people come to work every day and love their job. And I realize again, the same way, there's a reason somebody comes in with the big ideas and the visionary and somebody else is streamlining and making things fall into place is they're different parts of the brain and they're kind of counterintuitive. And so part of what I'm doing right now is fundraising, bringing in a bunch of experts. Let's, let's get this going and really hit the ground running, which it's all relative. I feel very proud of where we are at a, a the size of business we are, it's like one of those things that's a pinch me moment. But again, big purpose, big dreams, got to get the team in place, recognize my weaknesses. I can totally own it. I want people to have like, see their growth in the company. Like I can go from here to go and go here. That is something you only know how to do through experience. So let's bring in the people who know how to do that, bring that structure in and really make, hopefully Lipton did a company that people want to work for even when I'm not even around. It's my dream. 
I like what you said though, when you were like, you know, and this applies to not only to running a business, but often to having a relationship or to many different aspects of life. Sometimes we attribute the solution to this like magic person or this one magical thing. If this happened then, but you said, you know, there's no real magical person. There's all sorts of different magical people that we can get. But is that something that comes naturally to you even in the hiring process, right? Because like that is its own skill set. All of these different unique challenges require different skills. And it's sort of fortuitous how everything came together, but you're also learning as you go. In the beginning, definitely, I just tapped into my network. I was like, I have all these magical people around me. I'm just going to bring them in. And why not pay magical people in your life to work together? That's us supporting each other's businesses. And that's been great. But again, to scale as a company, I fully am recognizing my strengths and weaknesses. And we're, we're just starting with recruiters and bringing in experts to do what they can do. But recruiters are expensive. We couldn't do it in the beginning. And trust is really important when you start a business. And there's always pros and cons to working with friends or family members. And I remember when I was at Birchbox, they hired all of their friends. And I th- again, there's pros and cons. You have really smart friends. You want to work together. Then the cons are business is no longer business. It becomes personal. And so at this stage in my life, I have to create a divide for my mental sanity and happiness. And so bringing in a recruiter where there's new people coming in and I have, you know, senior management in place is really the goal. But I do think that magical people thing is really important because I was the girl looking for one person to fix the entire company. And that's not real. Right. Well, there is one person, but it just happens to be the one you're looking at in the mirror. Literally, it's real. Hello, my cheeky friends, Christina Evangelista here from the Half Naked Podcast, a show about underwear, vulnerability, and history. Yep. If you've ever been curious about those strappy things at the bottom of your corset or why thongs were invented, join me on Half Naked, where we expose the crazy and fraught history of the undergarment industry. Okay, so trigger warning about the word balance, but talking about your personal life and obviously you, you know, sort of admitted that you put this on hold for a long time. And I totally appreciate that sort of laser focus because you knew exactly what you were doing. And it's also, it's not a bad thing to acknowledge that we all have a certain bandwidth. We have limits. So we can only output in so many different areas simultaneously. But what was the impetus for deciding to freeze your eggs and to be upfront with your community about that. And what's that experience been like? I think it really hit me when my sister had her son, who is now my nephew. It was the kind of kick in the butt. I had an ex-boyfriend tell me that I wasn't going to be a good mother because I only cared about my career. And that's like all that I thought about. And I think that really emotionally messed me up and made me... Was this the asshole from um, the long-term relationship? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He told me that and I think it really messed me up. And I, I think I started to believe it, that I wasn't, maybe being a mom wasn't for me. I'll just be an aunt. And when I held my nephew in my hands, I was just like, this is absolutely for me. And whenever it's just kids in general, bring me so much joy. But that moment really was when I was like, I a hundred percent need to have children at some point in my life. I, for me, it's a need, like it'll, it'll bring me so much happiness. And I also know that I a hundred percent cannot have them right now. I have so much to do business-wise that I, I don't. And by the way, I need to find a partner and I don't want the first guy that I start to date to be, there's this pressure as a woman to hit certain metrics in your life, like getting married, then have kids. I have no mental pressure to do that in that order. And, you know, culturally, even to be totally honest, it's really taboo to talk about things like egg freezing. And I think just women in period it is. And then add the layer of having these immigrant parents. It's just like this next layer of like, you just don't talk about these things. And by the way, you don't even do these things because there's a certain way and path in life. What was their response to you choosing to do it and then choosing to be public about it? I think my parents have accepted that I'm always going to go against the grain. And so luckily they're trained after this. I quit my job to start to be an influencer slash this thing called YouTube. And my dad's like, wait, what? And then starting my own brand. And so now at this point, I think they've officially accepted my daughter is going to do the exact opposite of what she's told to do. And they're incredible. And I'm really fortunate because that's not the case for everyone. And and I know that, but that gave me the confidence a hundred percent to be able to go publicly. And, you know, my mom even commented and it was the sweetest thing saying like, I never understood why you felt like you had to tell people, but now seeing the people's responses, I get why this is important. There's such a taboo in our culture to do things like this. A woman's purpose in life is to, and this is everywhere, right? To create, 
and that is that. And I think that that is a part of my narrative, but is that not not what you're doing though? You're not creating? Well, yeah, exactly. We're redefining. We are redefining. Yes, girl. Yes. And so it was important to me and I'm, I'm so happy I did it. And I hope more people just know they have options. That really is it, right? Like, I'm not saying you need to do it. Other people, you know, it's just for, for me, I knew that I wanted to kind of own and control that narrative of my life. And this just gives me a little insurance policy. How was your experience in terms of how do you respond to the hormones and that stuff? Was it not, not so great? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's rough enough being a woman and just going through having like a monthly cycle and the up and down of your moods throughout that. But for all my friends who've gone through, you know, whether it's freezing eggs or in vitro, just the added pressure of putting additional hormones into your body. I applaud everybody who is going through that. I really applaud them because I don't feel like anyone in my life that did it made it a thing. They just did it under the radar. And after going through the hormone shots, that shit should not feel normal. Like you're literally injecting yourself. And I'm, I'm, I didn't become a doctor for many of reasons. And one of them was shots. Like I can't, I can't. And it was really my first time taking birth control. My first and you time. Have to, you have to self inject, right? I had to self inject. Oof. Oof is correct. It was not great. It was terrifying for the first few times. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, I'm so glad I did it, but it was not fun. And I was emotional. And I I basically told my team, I was like, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to need you guys to give me a little bit of grace over the next couple of weeks. And they were incredible. I mean, just the best. I canceled a meeting right before and said, can you leave this call? I'm like crying for no reason at all. (laughs) And it made me feel weak, right? Like I was like, what are you doing, Deepika? Stop being that girl. And then I realized, shut up. You're a girl and you're doing something incredible for yourself. And right. It's the least weak thing that you could possibly do. You're actually taking your options into your own hands. You're not waiting for something to happen so that you can do it in any which way. I think just going through that, of course, there's going to be the residual, the hormones and the different emotional effects that come with it. But I think one of the blessings of 20, I guess we're now in 2021, but 2020 that I think is like, we're not bifurcating anymore. So it's also like, that's the beauty of owning your own brand too, right? Is that you are the boss. You can have those conversations of, listen, like I need a little leeway. I'm going through X. We are all going through different things at various times. And I think what's been one of the blessings of what's come out of this time is allowing us to be human about it and to have more empathy for people. What we're enduring right now is not easy. Going through that is not a walk in the park. And so we can't pretend that we're fine all the time or we're left with all that residual feeling of disconnection. So I think that that's a real blessing. It cannot be seen as weak. It needs to be seen as a strength. Like vulnerability needs to be seen as a strength. And it's it's going to take conversations like this for that to be the reality for sure. Yeah. What about taking victories? I know that you're super goal-oriented. You know, and you talked about this a little bit, but do you feel like since that time, when you hosted the thing for the Met, do you feel like you have been able to take stock of all of the accomplishments and all the successes that you have had in terms of your own feeling of validation? Yeah. And it's hard because I'm very goal oriented. Like I'm very like, I need something to measure things against. And it's the problem with that is that then you're always chasing your next high. And I think we already have that little bit of programming in us. And it's, it's, it's this weird back and forth though, because at the same time, everyone has different, like the same way you have different love languages, you have different success languages, I feel like. And if some people are validated based on a check, a financial check, you know, and some people are the, a pat on the back and some people are just by words of affirmation. It's the same thing, like with work life for me as a woman who never saw this possible in the spectrum of her life to achieve certain things. and. For me, the, I'm, I missed the four of 30 under 30 deadline to like submit myself because I was head down working. Like I wasn't thinking about it at all. And the old me would have been like so broken because there's all this pressure to be like 30 years old, hit this benchmark for Forbes, right? And it's like that timeline and that mentality just needs to go away. You can do incredible things in your 40s, your 30s, your 20s, and your 50s, your 60s. Did you see this thing? I had shared it, but it was basically like, let us be reminded. Kamala Harris met the love of her life at, it was like 52, okay? She is becoming the first female vice president ever at, I think she's 56, maybe? Listen, it's not that I have an issue with applauding people who have accomplished things under 30, but it's just that like, why are we saying that you have to hit these milestones by this time? Otherwise, it feels like you've missed the boat. You're behind. God forbid. Also, when you glorify that, my other issue is 
if you're at that high at that early stage of your life, like where do you go? Are you a has-been in some way because your your accomplishments didn't stay at the same level? You know, I just think that we put so much pressure on ourselves in so many different ways. And I think that's why it's so important to find happiness outside of your job and and even outside of your kid. Like, because like you said, I don't have kids, so I don't know how it feels in my brain right now. Having a family will serve this like missing hole in my life. And the reality is like, and I'm sure you can speak to this as a working woman with children that like, it's going to come down to you finding deep-rooted personal happiness with yourself on your own independently outside of both of those things. And, and that to me is a lifelong journey. It doesn't happen like overnight. And I think just giving yourself a little bit of grace is important. For sure. I think that that's the thing. I don't think just like there's no one magical person. I don't think that there's one magical thing. I think that our life and our, our sort of sense of satisfaction and happiness is all an amalgam of so many different things wherever we place our value system. So it's like you say, you have to identify what that value system is for you and then focus on that. It's like you moving back to Texas, knowing that that's going to fulfill a certain part of you more so than going to this party or, you know what I mean? You just have to identify what that is. I think the cool part about COVID is we don't have to see the world as so matter of fact. Like I no longer have to feel like I moved to Texas. I'm here for the rest of my life. Like, no, this chapter of my life, I knew that I didn't need to be in Los Angeles right now. Something might bring me back there and make it call my name, you know, and things like that, that like I'm figuring it out and that's okay. And that's cool. And this is like an actual unexpected turn in my life in the best way. And I get to watch my nephew grow up and maybe life will bring me back one way or another. We, nothing has to be so definite. And nothing is permanent. I love that so much. Okay. For you today, what would having it all look like to you today? Knowing who you are and where you're at and the shifting of your priorities, what do you think it would look like? I'm really working on finding a personal happiness in my life. And I, I don't know if when that does get figured out, I'm going to share it online because I kind of want something just for me. And it's something I'm figuring it out as I go, but I, there's, I'm a very public person and very open about things, but sometimes there's things that are just meant to be cherished for yourself. And for me, like having that something outside of my public life for myself feels like it would be my version of having it all right now. I love that. Okay. For anyone who doesn't follow you, where can they find you? Live Tinted, L-I-V-E-T-I-N-T-E-D on all social outlets and our website, because clearly I would put Live Tinted before myself, like I said. And then Deepika is D-E-E-P-I-C-A on all social outlets. Well, keep doing you. I'm so happy that you were able to share with us and we can't wait to continue to watch your journey. Thank you for having me. This is, I'm not kidding, the most entertaining and fascinating podcast I've ever been on. That's amazing. Okay, thank you. That's it for today's episode of Having It All and Other Lies. I've been having so much fun talking to and learning from all these amazing women, and I hope you're enjoying it too. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, and also follow along at Having It All Podcast and swing on over to my page at Sarah underscore Riff. I love hearing from you guys, so please keep up the DMs and emails. And if there's anyone that you want to hear from, let us know. Having It All and Other Lies is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Bigas. See you next week.